You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to The Boutique with Collective 54, a podcast for founders and leaders of boutique professional services firms. For those that don't know us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community to help you grow, scale, and exit your firm bigger and faster. My name's Greg Alexander. I'm the founder, and I'll be your host today. And on this episode, we're going to talk about business development during the scale stage. And we're going to do so with one of our members, Ken Yeager. Ken, welcome to the show, and would you please introduce yourself? Thanks, Greg. Glad to be here. Uh, uh, I'm Ken Yeager. I'm the founder of uh, New Point. We are a nine-year-old uh, turnaround consulting firm exclusively focused on small distressed companies trying to address a problem in our industry, which was that it was unaddressed, that problems with small companies were unaddressable by the industry structure that we were in. Interesting. So so who hires you? Is it the, the banks that are doing the workout or how does, how does it work? Oh, you right to the point. I like that. Um, yes, our industry is a two-step sort of thing. We have to have it. We tend to work off referrals. Yeah. Uh, lenders will send us to companies, and companies will hire us, and then we have to f- find a balance where we're representing all parties. Okay. So, Ken, I have to tell you, you're the only member that I've met so far that I hope I never do business with. <laughs> Because if I'm doing business with you, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You, don't, you don't want to see me darken your door, but, um, and I never wish our services on anyone, yeah. but we're there when you need us. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so we're going to talk about business development, which is a, a very particular thing, those two words, during the scale stage. And I'll set this up briefly, and then I'll ask Ken some questions. So when you're a young firm, not like Ken's, who's nine years into his journey, you don't have any clients. So all of your business development efforts are spent on acquiring new accounts because you have to. As you establish yourself and you enter the scale stage, which is typically somewhere between years six and 10 or so, life gets easier. And it gets easier because you have happy clients. You've done work with them. They're referring their friends. You're getting some word of mouth. So the sales effort gets easier. It's never as easy as you want it to be, but it's easier than in the early days. However, it does require a change in the way that you sell. Because again, you have these clients that you can go back to and you can get expansion sales from them as opposed to going to new clients. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need new clients. Of course, every boutique owner needs new clients, but the mix changes. Personally, I believe the mix should be about 80-20 at this stage, 80% from existing accounts and 20% from new accounts, particularly if you can hold on to your clients for a while. Sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. Maybe it's 60-40, you know, existing to new. But the point here is it should be the majority should be revenue from existing accounts as opposed to new accounts as you're starting to scale, and that's a good barometer. So let me start there with you, Ken. If you were to maybe speak in percentages in terms of mix, What's your pie chart look like right now between revenue from existing accounts versus new accounts? It's going to be 80% um, existing accounts. Yeah. The, um, and the, of course, the twist here for us is that we are talking about referral sources, people who are sending us these potential new clients to work with. Right. But yes, it's pretty consistent. So in that scenario, a lender is your client and they, they'll have a portfolio of loans 
they hire you to help them with one situation, it goes well. Next time they have that situation, you're the first call. Am I understanding that correctly? That's pretty close to it. Yeah. Yes. It, sometimes you have to live with the list of three, but you've, you're sort of a favored son and you get an extra nudge uh, <laughs> into, the, into the crowd. Right. So when you think about your efforts as a leader of the organization and you're going to direct your time, your people, your budget towards generating business, given the fact that it's an 80-20 split for you, how do you invest in those existing relationships in order to grow them? It's sort of a, a time management. It's well, we like to teach everyone. Uh, yeah, definitely a time management skill, yeah. which is to be consistent and constant, um, and not coming and going. Typical consultant things are to get real busy, forget the client for a while, the referral sources, then wake up one morning in a bit, a wee bit of a panic, and go back. Yeah. So we work very hard at making sure everyone knows that this is a weekly exercise, and this is how you intentionally fit it into your schedule with all your client duties. So it's a um, weekly exercise. Yeah, yeah, it's um. There are certain people you don't touch for a whole quarter, but every week there's someone you can be reaching out to on a list of people that you should be talking to. And you, as a leader of the firm, how do you inspect or make sure that that's happening? Because I love the frequency of that, and that's probably the reason why you guys are doing so well. But, but that's a lot. How do you make sure it it's happening? Uh, we work off. Of, well, first off, we have a CRM system. We we work off of Zoho. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a um, we have retained a part time sales manager who helps coach everyone to make sure that they're on that system. And then we constantly train people on how to use the system so that they get past the awkwardness. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of professional services people who for years didn't use a CRM and now they're using one. It's a bit of a trick to get <laughs> used to it. Yeah, that is a, a new behavior for them to learn. I want to explore this part-time sales manager. That That's an innovative approach. Um, so what led you to that? Well, we couldn't afford a full-time person, for sure, not of the caliber we wanted. So part-time is, is a way to sort of sip at it, if you will, and take, the, take as much as we can. But bring that professionalism at the same moment to people so they kind of went up, one of our teammates is, struggling with a sales issue, they're going to someone who they can really trust and feel like they're a senior person. Yeah. And we treat that person as a senior person. Everyone kind of gets the sense that they're a person to go to. Yeah. That's really interesting. I I hadn't heard that example in this use case, and I like it quite a bit. So the the thinking was was pretty basic. You couldn't afford a full-time person, but you you wanted somebody to play that role because it was that important to you. Um, Now, I'm assuming that those dollars that you're investing in that part-time sales manager are, I mean, there's no billable hours to place against that. So that's a true investment. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So it needs to to pay for itself. And so those people that we've given sales duties to need to find deals and convert. Yeah. And I'm curious as to how you had the courage to do that. Sometimes... When faced with the decision, I can I can pull money out of the business and stick it in the front pocket of my jeans, or I can invest it in a part-time sales manager. It requires courage to make the investment. So so think back to when you didn't have the part-time sales manager and you made the decision to do it. What what was your decision-making process and how did you finally say, screw it, I'm gonna make this happen? Uh, this is a classic. I was feeling pain. Um, <laughs> I, was, I had a pain point and it was that the sales were too, you know, as much as I knew we had to build a sales force, I knew I couldn't put all the pennies and dollars into it. I was watching it literally slip through my fingers, trying to manage it myself. And so I said, no, no, this task has to be broken off to someone else or I'm never going to get there. And so 
that's that that pain started and it kept growing and finally listened to it one day that's excellent okay part of that pain of course is in most pro serve firms they don't have a dedicated sales team at this stage they'll have kind of producer types who also happen to sell and that time management, which is an item that you brought up that I, I want to dive into now a little bit in more depth, which is, okay, so I have X amount of hours. I'm, I'm trying to get to a uti- utilization target, let's just for today say at 75% that I need to bill myself out at. That remaining 25%, that non-billable time, some portion of that needs to be invested back into these relationships. Was it that formulaic for you and are you are you measuring time that precisely or is it more guidelines gut instinct it's the precise side of it um with a bit of gut which is to say i'm going to trust you to know how to apply your time but we tell people like we would like you to be able be able to build 30 hours a week we want you to dedicate 10 hours a week to what i'm going to call admin and team meetings and stuff we can't build a clients for training and things like that and I, when you're at full capacity, I want to see you at uh, 10 hours of marketing a week or up to wow. trying to do research or trying to talk to people. And if you and just give them that that sense of a precision of like, oh, I can now like look at my calendar and say, oh, 10 hours. Where do I put the 10 hours in? And our coach teaches them how to put that on their calendar. So it's actually there when they show up to that time slot in their in their week. Um, and then we also kind of build a model that shows them. If you put, if you make so many touches, it converts eventually to so many leads versus so many deals, and you got to go back to those hours you had available. And so they kind of can do the math off of that, and it helps. Yeah, listen, I absolutely love what you're doing. Sometimes um, we forget that non-billable hours is a budget. Mm-hmm. When I talk to members, sometimes they say, "Well, I don't have any market. I don't have a marketing budget." I said, "Yes, you do. You're already spending money on it right now, and you just don't know it." So a a portion of people's non-billable time is going towards developing these relationships. Do you know what that portion is? And can you track the fact that it's consistently happening and is there quality? So in your scenario, you've compartmentalized everybody's time, you're directing the hours in quantity and quality, and you're providing them a coach to make it happen. That's absolutely fantastic. It's a lot for us to learn today um, on that example alone. Sometimes this is a tough question to answer, but I'll ask it anyways because there's many things that can contribute. But that approach that you're using, what have been the results? Can you point to anything specifically? Uh, Yes. Um, I'd say four years ago, so right about that five-year mark, I was uh, 100% of our sales, Hmm. and now I'm about 25 to 30% of our sales. Wow. So it's starting to happen. And a lot of that group is loaded in very late. Unfortunately for us, came in during COVID, which had a couple of twists and turns for our turn, our team and our industry. So some of those people really haven't even had to flourish yet. So a lot of investment at this moment. We're waiting to kind of see what happens. I think it's going to break out pretty nicely here in the next year or so. Congratulations on that. Um, I mean, you're, to, the fact that you're cutting it in half, so the business continues to grow, but your personal selling efforts have been cut in half, which is great because someday, if you want to retire and sell your firm down the road, you're going to have to prove to a potential acquirer that you're not required in order to generate revenue. There's other people in the company that are doing it and they're doing it well. And because you're tracking it in the way that you're tracking it, you'll precisely be able to say to them, just like you did to me, hey, at this date, here's what happened. Here's the before and after results. Do you ever foresee in the future you representing 0%? 
Oh, yes. Um, I have a stated mission that I am to get fired from marketing, from projects and admin <laughs> at various stages in the career, in my career. So I'm working very hard to, to getting fired right now. <laughs> Those sound like your three favorite activities. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's funny. That's fantastic. Um, one, one last question for you. Sometimes consultants, they don't like the word sales. Um, mm -hmm. They're slightly more willing to accept the term marketing. But when they when they get asked to do this type of activity, I've seen in some scenarios, I don't want to say they think they're above it, but they don't think it's part of their job. And their job is to execute the work once it's been sold. Have you run into that? And do you have any advice for those that are listening on how to deal with that? Two pieces um, that come to mind. One, we actually go even further than networking, uh, than um, we'll call marketing. We talk about networking. Hmm. And just telling your we tell we talking about telling your friends um, about what you do, which is a very it kind of simplifies it <clears throat> for construction you know, for people who are who are professional service um, kind of driven. Um, and we also talk about uh, instead of territories, talk about tribes. So just your friends, the people that you like, you know, and be with them, and try to make it as natural as possible. Um, and and then the last bit is. Um, I'm trying to think where, <clears throat> pardon me, choking on my words here. Um, <laughs> the, the other part is some people don't make it. You're, you're really not going to turn. Here's the first thing. You're not going to turn someone who isn't totally motivated to sell into a, you know, into a selling machine. Yeah. Maybe over time, a long time, maybe their careers, their lives change. We've had one or two of those moments, yep. but you're talking about changing someone 15, 20%. So if they're not going to do it, don't torture themselves or yourself. Yeah. Move on. That's good advice. I love progressing past marketing and networking, and I love moving from territories to tribes. That makes it approachable for the people yeah. that we just described there. It makes it more doable for them. Mm. All right, Ken, we're running out of time here, but uh, listen, that was awesome. I mean, you, you shared Thank some you. brand new insight for us. I'm not surprised that you're having as much success as you are. I appreciate you being a member and making a contribution today. Thank you, Greg, for the time today, and I enjoy being a part of Collective 54. It's been a really great ride. Great. Okay, for those that are listening, if you want to learn more about this topic, business development during the scale stage or others like it, pick up a copy of the book, The Boutique, How to Start, Scale, and Sell a Professional Services Firm, which I'm proud to say just hit number one on Amazon in our little niche. And if you want to meet great people like Ken, consider joining our mastermind community. You can find us at collective54.com. Thanks again. Take care.